Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, June 4th. We are so excited to be continuing our newest series here on the Mini Break Podcast, getting to the point which we are doing with our friends at Aerobar, our goal to try and stress how important nutrition and treating your body correctly off the court, not just the hard work you put in onto it, factors into a tennis player's success. Last week in our first edition, we got to talk to Michael Russell, who of course made an entire career out of staying in shape, out of putting the right things into his body, out of ensuring that he was the best prepared player for every match he played, regardless of who his opponent was. That was such a great conversation, and of course, we are so excited for all of these conversations moving forward. And we had an, an, another another spectacular guest uh, on the show today uh, for our second episode. We are joined by Andrew and Mark's former coach at the University of Miami, a guy who reached as high as the top 10 of the ATP rankings, but of course, he was successful throughout his career, a former Boys 18's Kalamazoo champion a guy who was a standout player during his time at Clemson and someone who has had a bunch of success in the coaching ranks as well. We are joined by Coach Jay Berger to talk about, again, the importance of nutrition, the importance of doing everything correctly off the court so that you can put yourself in the best position to succeed on it as well. Of course, Jay being the coach of Aerobars, Mark Aerosmith and Andrew Golub, uh, we had to ask him a little bit about his time at the helm, some funny stories he has involving Mark and Jay and you know what it takes to build not just a successful tennis program but a successful culture as well and you know Mark and Andrew throughout the pod share how much their time in college tennis meant to them how it helped shape the people they became and so it is a fascinating conversation of course we have to ask Jay about his background and his expertise in the game as well so it's a really fun conversation that I know all of you are about to enjoy of course before I can get to that pod uh, part of the podcast I have to let all of you know that these podcasts not only make made possible by the support we get from our friends at Aerobar. Uh, but of course, here at the mini break specifically, we are able to do these day in, day out due to the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And if you haven't, I implore you all, go check out the recent Great Shot podcast I did with Midwest Sports buyer and product manager, uh, Dave Limke, who talks all about the newest products being available at Midwest Sports, talks about what sort of racket frames, what sort of strings accentuate, which types of players. And, you know, talks about, again, how all the importance of updating equipment and how, you know, yeah, we all want to play tennis and rackets can be expensive. Strings can be expensive. But above all else, you know, if you're not using the right sort of equipment, much like if you're not putting in the right sort of nutrition, 
nutrition in your body, uh, you're not going to get the best out of your game. So it's a really great conversation that all of you should go check out. And of course, for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers by offering a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the tennis court. And in case you don't know what they what you need, rest assured their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with all of their equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect pair of tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of these products by checking out their website, MidwestSports.com. When you do, you're going to want to order yourself up some stuff, I guarantee. The allure of all of these beautiful tennis products is just going to be hard to resist. And of course, they already offer the best prices, but to save yourself an additional 15%, be sure to use our promo code CR15. Let them know that your their friends and your friends at Crack Rackets sent you there. Um, of course, not only will you get 15% off, you'll get free two-day shipping on all order exceeding $75. You will also get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls so that Midwest Sports can ensure you have all you need for when you make your return to the tennis court. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. We are so grateful for their continued support. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. All right. With that being said, let's get to another edition of Getting to the Point. Today, Mark Aerosmith, uh, Andrew Golub, and I joined by former University of Miami coach and current coach for Riley Opelka, Jay Berger. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us today for another edition of Getting to the Point, you may know him from his multiple successes in the realm of tennis. He was a boys 18s Kalamazoo champion, a standout on the Clemson men's tennis team, a top 10 ATP professional player, head of USDA player development, and according to one expert, the highest ranked tennis player ever with a beginner service motion. Jay Berger, (laughs) welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Well, thanks for having me. That's a that's a nice shot right off the bat. <laughs> I think you can guess who that expert was. Yes, I can. <laughs> of course, God, and I don't you know that was that child. It was not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that is the first time Mark has been referred to as an expert. Um, But of course, we are so thrilled to have you on today's show to talk about, you know, your career in tennis from playing to coaching. You have seen all sides of the game. We want to explore that. Uh, But before we get into that, just so our listeners who maybe don't know about your background, as I mentioned, you are quite the successful junior tennis player. But how did you get started? You know, when did you start taking tennis uh, seriously? Well, I started tennis at around... Uh, seven years old and started playing uh, you know my dad was playing on the weekends and and like a lot of people just started in the street with a pretend net a lot on the wall Um, 
and got quite serious around probably eight or nine years old um, and played, you know, started taking some lessons. And it was kind of the heyday of tennis. So uh, I was dropped off at the tennis courts at eight o'clock and picked up in the evening and uh, played tennis, hung out with friends, uh, did some other sports, um, but but certainly played a lot of tennis. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that being the heyday of tennis. You look in the, you know, I think it's the 1989 rankings on the ATP Tour. There are like 30 Americans in the top 100. Uh, what was the culture of tennis like, you know, during that time? I do feel like there was a, you know, a, gl- a plethora of talent in the American tennis pipelines. Yeah, we had, you know, at that time, um, I, th- I think it wasn't as much of a worldwide sport, uh, you know, so... You didn't really have that that much tennis in Yugoslavia or what is now Serbia, Croatia. So it was a little bit smaller, and and certainly the opportunity, uh, being from the United States, was was obviously uh, very helpful. But yeah, we, we you know we had a lot of American players, um, you know some great players, and, and some really some of the some of the the greatest that ever played the game, and Jim Courier and Andre Agassi um, from the U.S. and and just Michael Chang, a lot of Grand Slam winners. Mm-hmm. And I have to throw this in here in case Pete my grandma Sampras, listens. Of course. Yeah, in case my grandma listens to the episode. Great generation of Jewish tennis players as well. Crickstein, well, we uh, Grab Yourself. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a quality generation. Amos um, Manstorp. More than normal, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a nice little uh, grouping. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm sure you had success uh, throughout your junior career. But for you to win the 1985 Kalamazoo title because it it was just as important then as it is now, was that a big flashpoint in your young career where maybe you start to think, okay, I've really got something special here? Well, I I don't know if I ever thought I had something special. Um, I had actually – Never won a national tournament before that summer. Actually, I went to college a little young, so I went at 17 and was able to play that summer um, the national tournaments and and uh, played clay courts. That was my first nationals that I won. Um, you know, so I was always a really good junior, but never really the best and never really dominated. Um, and I won clay courts quite easily. Uh, went on to Kalamazoo and um, and and won that fairly easily as well. Um, had a tough final, um, but but yeah, certainly was 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 an incredible experience. Uh, then actually went on to the U.S. Open and got to the round of sixteen as an amateur. Yeah, I know it's an outstanding run of success. Certainly, you talked about that final you played at Kalamazoo, and this will link into the questions Mark and Andrew have later. But playing a five-set match at age eighteen, you know, I'm, I'm sure you don't remember every point, but you know, physically, what was that like for you to make that adjustment? I know, you know, I, one could argue you were the first modern-day grinder in professional <laughs> tennis, and that was clearly something you enjoyed doing. But what was it like at age eighteen to play a f- best of five-set match? Do you think you were physically prepared uh you know uh first of all we got a 10 minute break in between the third set which kind of helped and jump in the shower real quick but no i don't think i was prepared i mean compared to uh compared to um you know what kids the knowledge base that kids have now about nutrition and about the strength and conditioning and physios and the support that they get they get now um back then it was just kind of go out there and run um, you know, I, I did feel like I was in, in good shape for a junior. 
Um, and, and I think something that really helped me is that I was, I was certainly known for not wasting time on the practice court. So I, I was very engaged when I was out there on the practice court and, and I definitely put in, put in a lot of hours, uh, with a really tough coach. And you talk about that, you know, the nutrition and the stressing of that. It sounds like that was not something you were doing much of, you know, before you started turning pro. Yeah, just kind of, um, you know, trying to be sensible about it, but, but it, it wasn't a focus in a, I would call it a priority, um, the strength and conditioning and, and the physio, uh, physio work that players have now, um, as well as the nutrition. It's, it's, it's way more dialed in now on what you should eat on the court how you should train what you should do after matches I think um when I was playing it was kind of a little bit more um you know kind of what what you saw what you heard I mean I was fortunate to have Brian Godford who Mark uh Aerosmith knows quite well um who's a, a pro's pro and I had seen him growing up um and he was a big influence on me and and was actually uh, coaching me when I was 18 and won Kalamazoo. So, you know, I certainly had some idea, but, but not to the level that, that they do now. Mm-hmm. And for you, you talk about, you know, the, the physical nature of the game and preparing yourself for pro tennis. You look at that time period, there were guys like Jimmy Arias, Aaron Crickstein, and, you know, others who were having success early on and just turning pro right away. But you also see a class of guys who, as I mentioned, as I mentioned, fill out that top 100 guys like David Wheaton, Robbie Weiss, Paul Anacone, Jim Grab, yourself, who end up playing a couple of years of college tennis before turning pro. Why did you make the decision to go to Clemson to play a couple of years there and prepare yourself as opposed to turning pro right away? Yeah, I, th- I think um, when I was going to college, uh, we, we didn't even think about turning pro out of high school. Very rarely. I mean, there, you know, guys like a Crickstein or a Jimmy Arias were really phenoms. I, I was not a phenom by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I looked – when I was looking at schools, I looked um, to find one of the toughest coaches out there and somebody that had been producing players, and uh, and that was Chuck Creasy at Clemson. Um, and he had a great track record of, of players getting better, putting players on tour, um, you know. And for me, it was it was a great fit and probably one of the really one of the most fun times of my life those two years, and and probably really impacted why I wanted to become a college coach and 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 hopefully. Um, you know, give people like Mark and Andrew the experience and the the great experience that I had in college. <laughs> well, I know but Mark, little, but but with a little <laughs> bit more education involved. <laughs> well, I think Mark definitely needed that Coach Creasy attitude, um, from what I hear. And in terms of his <laughs> philosophy, you know, what I, I have heard stories that there was a match you guys played against Michigan before the NCAA tournament. It's three all. It comes down to you, and just no one's cheering you on. And so after that match, he's making you run sprints. And I've heard even I think after the NCAA semifinal, he made you do that as well. You know, what was his? Because coaches can play such an influential ro- role both on the court, but of course off the court as well in a developing tennis player's life and so how did your relationship with coach Creasy maybe inspire you to get into coaching or you know affect your coaching philosophies you know I think um I and I'm very very good friends with 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 coach right now um I think part of it was some of the good things that happened and came out of it and that was uh the bond that 
that the players that played in that era or on those teams had with each other. I mean, they're still some of my closest friends. Um, my doubles partner from my freshman year, um, who was a senior at the time, Miguel Nito. I see him almost every week. We go out there and play golf all the time. So, you know, that inspired me. That was a that was a great part of it. I think on on another side of it um, is that I was we we practiced so much and um, and traveled so much at the time that I actually really felt that um, from a scholastic standpoint, um, you know, I wasn't able to excel. And not that I not that I necessarily wanted to excel, to be quite honest. <laughs> But I'm not sure I could have at the time with as much as we trained and as much as uh, as we traveled. So, you know, I, I felt um, that that they you can have a great experience. But I, I think when I was when I was at school and uh, Andrew and, and Mark um, can attest this or or uh, or dispute it was that we worked extremely hard, extremely hard, probably harder than than probably any team. Um, yeah. We had a lot of fun as well and I think those guys had a lot of fun and I think I also put a premium on education which I'm very proud of um, and I know that when we were there and that is including Mark Aerosmith and Andrew Gollum's grades I think yeah. our team GPA was a 3.5 <laughs> and I don't think I, they were hurting um, us that badly no I was hurting us a little bit but I would agree bit. with you yeah Andrew might have been hurting us a little I bit was, at times I was, hurting you guys. I was hurting you at times I was not interested <laughs> in academics yeah, I was more like we, Jay Berger, I think, in college. But I, uh, I agree with you 100%. We had a blast. I mean, yeah. we can't tell all the stories of the things that we had a blast doing. <laughs> but I think we'll keep that for another day. But we definitely had a blast, and you taught us a lot. I think my, you know, as you know, still with you know guys like Tarek and Joel and Jose and Lang, we're on a group chat. We talk all the time. And yeah. I, I do believe that that's because of the bond that that you created on that college team i think that was that was awesome so. yeah that's and, and i know that you guys have that relationship and and really it means a lot to me and it means a lot to me to be able to go to england and spend time with one of our our former players our pod audrey or see it you know how close the team has has stayed and i think that's true for clemson's team as teams as well um you know something that that i certainly wanted to uh yeah, I mean, deliver. we had, I mean, we had a, a member guest golf, you know, a couple of years ago that it was, I mean, it was, you know, Golub and I and Tarek and Joel Berman and, <laughs> and no, and, but I mean, you know, we're sitting there and there's a couple hundred people around and it's the four of us hanging out. And yes, yeah. it's, it's definitely, um, Hey, no different than, I mean, well, I guess I, I missed you by a day at TPC this year, right? I was going to see you Friday. You did. And it got canceled Thursday night, you know, but it's, yeah, that's the stuff that, you know, you look forward to. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I mean, some of it was cramping on the track and absolutely know, throwing up in the sand pit. And yeah, you know, there, awesome. there were, we had some, we had some days of that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping right. the fence at six in the morning to get onto the track because we didn't have the key. Oh, we yeah. could go, we could probably go on and on about that stuff. Yeah, but it was we great. Could, we could do we could do another episode about <laughs> our college trials and tribulations with Jay Berger. So yeah. that's for sure. 
Yeah. No. Look, I would I would listen to all of the stories. I will eventually turn to bystander mode uh, for this podcast. But I do want to follow up on that topic because, you know, Coach, you served as the head of USTA player development. And certainly to a point you mentioned earlier, the game is far more international now uh, than it once was. And so in terms of players and, you know, you work with one now, Riley Opelka, who I was do. ready to turn pro right away. And he didn't right. need the college experience. But do you think there's, you know, college tennis now serves as a viable pathway for players who maybe aren't quite ready to uh, show their game out on the pros? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll correct you that I was head of men's tennis, not head of no. the entire player development, um, but head of men's tennis. And and so I think it's, it's really, first of all, a personal decision. Um, I think in a lot of cases, the market dictates whether a player can turn pro or not. Um, in, in, in that, you know, you need to get contracts to be able to play. And, and I think, um, you know, I think that has, that has a lot to do with the, the decisions these players make. Um, you know, look, Riley Opelka, if he didn't get a contract from New Balance of Wilson, would have been in college um, and, and was looking down those avenues. Um, I, I, look, I think it's still a pathway. I, I look statistically um, to some extent at how many players have gone from college in, um, or in a given year um, play college tennis in singles and then make it into the top 100. Um, and it, it's not a huge number, um, but, but there are players there and there are players that are certainly taking advantage. You know, you have, you have, uh, you know, you have Americans doing it in quite a few foreign players that are, that are making their way through college tennis. So with the right attitude and uh, under the right circumstances, certainly a, it can it can certainly be a pathway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in, with the game being the way it has, uh, it feels like physicality is put at a premium now more uh, now more than ever. Uh, do you think that the game is turning, you know, that's the direction of the game? It will become more and more physical, and it's going to, you know, you look at the average age of the player in the top 100, it continues to rise. Do you expect that to plateau at some point soon? And just, you know, do you think the increasing physicality impacts why players aren't hitting their best ranking until later in their career? Uh, First of all, I think that, I think that's a great question and something I would ask a lot of people. Um, I had a little bit of a differing opinion on it than a lot of people. And uh, through my years at, as head of men's tennis and, and I would say this, first of all, I think the physicality to reach your prime. Absolutely. It's going to be later and later. Um, You know, I'm, I coach Riley Opelka I'm expecting to have his best tennis in three, two to three years, four years down the road. He's 22 years old right now. Um, uh, the piece, the piece that I would kind of somewhat disagree with, is that I think for a period of time, and maybe even a little bit now, players were not, not not breaking in because of the physicality of the game. I think they were breaking in because they just weren't quite good enough. Um, the players in the top hundred were just better than them, you know. So once you have a player like, you know, I mean, you started to have players like uh, Zverev and Tiam and um, and Rublev that started really breaking in to the top hundred and really having some success because they were really good tennis players. Um, Rublev at eighteen was not a physical specimen, um, but but was a really good tennis player. Um, so I, I think I think. A, a lot of the reason they weren't breaking in um, was not the physicality, but they just needed to become better tennis players. 
Yeah, no, that's fascinating to hear. And, you know, just to follow up on that, you mentioned for Riley, you want him playing his best tennis in three, four, five years from now. Is that the way as a young up-and-coming player you have to plan? Even if ages 19 and 20, you're not getting the results you want. It's about preparing your game to peak, you know, when you're, you know, have that game match the physical peaks as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, not to put a timeline on your success is really important. So, look, when when Riley and I started working together, it was 250 in the world. Um, or really any player that I've worked with. I don't really focus on the results, especially if I really believe in somebody. We kind of focus on the process. I mean, we really – I really, really highlight the process. And, um, and, and having the confidence that, look, if we do the right things and we put this player's together, game together the right way – then we are we are going to have success, or you the player will have success. Um, myself as a coach will have success. Um, so I'm really not into rankings at all, um, and really focus on. I try to detach from results, and really focus on all right. What do we want to get accomplished in the next? With the big picture, how do I want somebody's game to look in two to three years, or when they're 23, or when they're 24? What do I want their game to look like? How do I want them to be physically, mentally approach the game professionalism? And then we work on that every day. And, um, you know, if it happens earlier, that's fantastic. Uh, if it doesn't, you know, it keeps us working as long as we see kind of improvements along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, again, I think so much that goes into that development, it's not just the work you're putting in on the court, it's the nutrition you're putting into the body, the work you're doing off the court as well. And, you know, that's why we here at Cracked Rackets are so thrilled to be partnering with our friends at Aerobar. And that feels like a perfect chance to give Mark <laughs> the opportunity to interrogate his former coach, put you in the hot seat right. under that Aerosmith uh, spotlight. Mark, take it away. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, no, not, not a lot of interrogation here. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhat somewhat professional now. Um, no, and like, hey, and even like you said there about the you know the process and trusting that. I mean, I that's one of the reasons. I mean, I was probably leaving Miami after my freshman year before Jay came in, and you know he basically sat me down and told me that he thought I could be a lot better than I ever thought I could be and uh he, he definitely worked worked uh tirelessly to do that so I was I've always been appreciative um I didn't always pay it back um, <laughs> back um I would agree with that one but overall yeah, I know it's a I mean I I, I accept some weaknesses uh, <laughs> uh, no one of the things um and for a little backstory we had uh Mike Russell on last week um who obviously is you know is a joke and is still working out twice a day and no, just, he's He's incredible. Uh, but one thing that was unbelievable, I mean, I've, uh, I guess two things. One, I did not know Mike was Jewish until last week's show, um, which that was interesting. I just truly didn't know that, and I lived with the guy. But um, And definitely carried that Miami team GPA as well. No, not really. That guy, <laughs> that, that guy is the loosest, that's the loosest term of valedictorian from a high school you'll ever come across. <laughs> um, Saddlebrook High School, come on. But, um... No, I guess one of the things that he said last week that, you know, kind of rang a bell was that he truly says he did not prioritize fitness and nutrition until he was 15, almost 16 years old. 
Um, and he kind of gave us an example of an exact match that he walked off the court actually after losing to Mike Bryan at Kalamazoo and said, you know what? I'm just never losing another match because of nutrition and fitness. I'm, I'm just right. not. Um, and then he started the crazy, you know, thousand sit-ups a day, you know, yeah. just, you know, but, and like started it the next day. Like, did you have a, uh, you know, a light switch moment like that in your career? Like where you just, it's, something, it's, something happened? That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think there, there were a couple actually. Uh, so there, there are a couple kind of moments in my career. One was, um, you know, and I don't think there was as much information as many experts and, you know, we weren't making enough money to travel with a, a full team of a physio and a strength and conditioning coach um, like players are now. But I, I do have a, a couple instances that really had an impact on me. So um, I think it was my second year playing pros. I was in the finals in Argentina. I had won the tournament the, the year before. Um, it's, it's the last term I'm, I'm going to play of the year. So it's uh, mid to late November. Um, and I sprained my ankle really badly. Um, never happened to me before. Have to fly home. Have to default. I was actually in the finals of singles and doubles, and have to go home. So um, I can't play for a month and a half, two months, which is a lot of the preseason prior to getting ready. So normally, you know, I, I did some strength and conditioning. Um, I did a pretty good job with it, but it really wasn't a focus for any set period of time. So with that injury, I was able to just be in the gym five days a week, um, you know, for two and a half months because I couldn't play tennis. The interesting thing is I came out of it playing the best tennis of my life and having uh, the best year that I've ever had. Um, so I kind of made the connection. I actually kept that program for the other years that I played it on tour where I would take actually a month or a month and a half off, actually not hit a tennis ball. Now, at the same time, we didn't go to Australia that often back then so i had a longer period to uh to train i didn't have to get ready you know these guys leave december 25th i had a longer i had an extended time to be able to train but but that was a real um that was a big moment for me to realize how important the strength strength training was and some something i really kept up with um the rest of my career the the other kind of um moment was more on the nutrition side and that was playing um, in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, actually. And, um, and I was playing Aaron Krikstein. Um, You know, it was, a, it was a, probably a very even match. Um, you know, maybe the way I was playing that summer, maybe I'd give myself a little bit of an advantage. Really excited about the match. Did not take care of my uh, nutrition the day before. And cramped in the in uh in the second set where i where i would have won i think i would have won that match and gotten to the semifinals or had a very good chance of winning that match and getting to the semifinals of the u.s open which is obviously a big deal 100 percent lost the match because me I, I wasn't um consumed with how much intake of fluids i was having the night before um i was probably deleted from all the other matches from a nutritional standpoint and from from a, um hydration standpoint uh after that match we got on the phone the phone with um with actually i believe one of the one of the people that um came up with gatorade um from the university of florida and got on a little bit better kind of program of 
how, why did this happen? Now, part of it was nerves and excitement, but 100% part of it was just I didn't I didn't put what was necessary in my body, and and then certainly because I didn't want to feel that way again. Um, I had only cramped a couple times. I was really much more conscious about going on court, um, having at least you know from a probably not as scientific as players are now, but but a much higher awareness of what I needed the night before and what I needed on the court as well. What, um, no, that's, that's awesome info. What, what did you eat on the court back then? Did you take anything on the Nothing. court? Nothing. I don't think I took anything. I mean, I think we ate bananas. That was it. Bananas yeah. and, and maybe some Gatorade. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, well, that, uh, was, you that know, was it. That was one of our, um, kind of early on conversations between Golub and I, you know, starting out Aerobar was actually reminiscing about, you know, I mean, we obviously crushed the fitness. I mean, you said it a few sure. minutes ago that we probably worked harder or at least as hard as any team in the country. And then, you know, we would go into CVS or Walgreens on road trips and get like cereal bars to eat on the court. Yeah. yeah if you recall. And it wasn't like, we weren't sitting there being like, damn, Jay doesn't know what he's doing. Like we didn't, you know, I don't think anybody back then knew what we were supposed to take on the court. No, there was, there was a, and you're, you're absolutely right. And, and certainly, you know, I go back and I look at, at the coach I was then and, and I did some things really, really well. Um, and there were some things I just, you know, I had intuition about some things. And, you know, if you remember our strength and conditioning program back then, uh, we went in the gym, they tried to have you doing all kinds of lifts without really supervision. We took you out. And we actually hired, if you, I'm sure you guys remember, we hired uh, a Thai team. Sifu. Sifu yeah, Paul. Yep. Sifu Paul, baby. Uh, which was actually, you know, was probably somewhat cutting edge to, to kind of take people out of the gym. And I think it got us in really good shape. You know, certainly the combination, you know, a couple years later towards, I think, Mark, you're probably your senior year, we had Dave Richardson, who is currently the strength and conditioning coach at um, Ohio State for the basketball team. Uh, yeah. We went back oh, yeah. in the gym. But it, it is interesting in college that um, some of this – I'm not going to say all the strength and conditioning. I mean, because they have incredible strength and conditioning at universities. But a lot of them are not really that into tennis. And it's just kind of – they need to kind of get, get it done, unfortunately. Um, so it was great to have somebody like Dave – um, who actually had traveled for tennis players and really loved tennis. Um, but yeah, we're, you know, from a nutrition side, um, yeah, we just didn't focus on it that much other than, you know, I think we kind of knew what everybody needed to eat, but, but it wasn't a priority. That's for sure. And that, that's probably a mistake. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, we, we talked about it right when we started the company and it was, it was just sort of, man, you know, there weren't there just weren't options and the options we had weren't great. And nobody, I don't think anyone realized that it was bad, you know, but, really yeah. did um, what, you, you thought that pizza was good every day, Mark. Uh, that, was, that was Jose. I was, a that was bit, Jose. You're right. I, <laughs> that I was Jose. Yeah. I don't know if we had the first Panda express in the country, but I know that I know that I went to it a lot. Yeah. But it was, no, it, it was, it's interesting. It's just something that, you know, um, it's just, it just wasn't focused on as much as uh, as it should have been, without a doubt. And like you said, so what other uh, – we'll pick your brain here. 
you, you said you think there were some things that you were good at in school. I agree with that. We don't yeah. need to talk. About, we don't need to talk about those. Um, like, no. What do you think? I mean, I know you and I. I guess I I called you maybe the first day of the lockdown with right. the COVID nineteen right. stuff to kind of talk to you about some of the, you know, the one junior I coach who's very good, and you know, you you said you changed a lot over the years of kind of your perception of what was good fitness and you know you even mentioned that we probably did a little too much of certain things back then like what do you, how do you think that's evolved for you like your ideas of the right fitness off the court yeah i i think first of all um uh you know i would say that the strength and conditioning aspect of tennis um you know is, is nothing i it's something that i i know the importance of but I try to really lean on experts and kind of um, evaluate what I'm seeing. I mean, it is it is everything for somebody like Riley Opelka. It's something that I think about when I'm thinking about Riley's tennis. It's something that I'm thinking about all the time. So, um, you know, I, I think first of all, uh, we ran we ran probably too much, which is not good on your joints. So there were there were much better ways of of kind of um, whether it was getting tougher or getting in shape that could have, could have been um, much more efficient and much more healthier for your joints. Hopefully nobody's knees hurt um, well, or you can blame some of it on me. Not no, all of okay. it, but you can blame, you can blame some of it on me. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I ran, I ran two marathons in the last couple of years and my running that I did to train for the New York marathon was significantly easier than a normal practice. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and on that note, I'm probably in the best shape of my life, and it's a lot easier than what I did with you. So it's good. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. Also, so, yeah, yes. an incredible so humble brag. We probably, we probably did too much. <laughs> yeah, we did too much. <laughs> we did a lot. You know, and I did try to lean on experts. Um, you know, I, I mean, we again, we did some different things, like bringing in Sifu Paul, bringing in a Tai Chi instructor instead of the weight room. Um we used actually Pat Echeverry sent us a lot of our, our plants who's worked with some of the best players in the world. Um, but it probably wasn't, or not probably, it was not individualized enough for every player. And part of that is because uh, maybe I didn't know enough. Um, and I think another part of that is that probably our university with the resources that they gave us, we didn't have enough that, or we didn't really have somebody that kind of sat down and said, okay, um, you know, First of all, to do an evaluation of somebody's body, where are their strengths, where are their deficits, where are their weaknesses, and first, you know, start there, do a, a kind of get a baseline of where somebody is and where their potentials to get injured injured are. And we didn't have many injuries actually when when you guys were at our university, but um, you know, I still think that you know that's a starting point is that you do an assessment of where somebody is, and then you really design a program specific for that player. Um, I would imagine that, you know, with the resources universities have now, that's probably what they're doing. And you can do the same on a nutritional standpoint. You can do the same on a hydration standpoint and certainly on a mental and even tennis, you know, tennis standpoint. So really individualizing. I think we did a lot of individualizing. If you remember, we had, I think, um, two of the days we had individual practices only. And you yeah, come to team great. practices, which I think was was something that a lot of universities didn't do. Um, and I think that was, you know, that was really beneficial. But I think 
the best universities, you know, University of Virginia, when they were winning all those NCAA titles, I know that they really individualized their program. And, um, you know, Mark Aerosmith might need to practice an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> and uh, Andrew Golub might need to practice two and a half hours. So why should no. they both practice three hours? Or the yeah. opposite, whichever one. Yeah. Jay, that is um, – no, I mean, that uh, junior that I coach is going to North Carolina in the fall, and he's going there because everything is specialized. They have team practices, but, you know, Kovacs is a consultant there coming in and meeting with every kid and right. totally personalized. Yeah, so it's it's come a long I, way. I definitely think we were ahead of the curve when you think about it. I mean, back then, like we talked about nutrition and all that stuff, I mean, it was it was foreign. And so one thing I want to ask you is from getting an edge standpoint, from a junior standpoint, because, you know, once you get to that pro level, you have so much stuff at your act, you know, to access. But at the junior level, Jay, um, what, what is your advice to juniors to get, you know, nutrition plans, fitness plans, like really dial it in from a young age? Where, where's your head on that? Well, I, I think I think you need to, to rely on experts. And, uh, you know, I think when I was at the USTA, one, one thing that as a team we came up with was, was having a performance team. And probably at a certain age, if your goal is to become, you know, as good as you want to become, I think you need to have a performance team, whether that means, you know, that, that um, a team leader, whether that's a coach or a parent, um, maybe a master coach. Um, and then that person puts together the program that you need, finding the right strength and conditioning coach for you, uh, designing a developmental plan, um, periodizing your, your training, um, you know, de- designing the right strength and conditioning program where, you know, that, that's something we had some great people at the USDA, uh, Satoshi Ochi, and you mentioned Mark Kovacs uh, previously on the strength and conditioning side. Um, and they really saw things, and I didn't understand it because it's never really been my passion. But they took it very slow with these kids, very slow. And boy, you know, they they had to fight coaches. Why aren't they running them more? Kill them, you know, you know, beat them up more. Why are they? And they did it very slowly, and probably w- with a lot of kind of kind of pulling and 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 fighting, or I don't want to say fighting, but a lot of discussion with the with the national coaches that wanted results. Um, but they really saw developing their bodies properly in the importance of it. And, and I really learned a lot from them. I really learned a lot from them. Um, I also was able to spend time with, uh, when I was at, at the USCA, we hired Jez Green. Um, we hired Yvonne Lendl to work with a group of young players. And Yvonne is very close to Jez Green and feels like he is one of the best strength and conditioning coaches um, in the world. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know who Jez Green is, but Jez Green yeah. um, is English. He worked with uh, Andy Murray, I believe, from when he was about 18 to about 24, 25 years old. Um, and then he's, he's trained Zverev since I believe he's been 14, maybe 15 years old. And he had a plan of how to get his body um, prepared to win a Grand Slam title at 20 or, you know, 21 years old. So um, they put the rackets down in the off season and it wasn't just hard lifting. It was preparing your body to be able to train hard in the appropriate way 
with good posture. He said, you know, any, any, you know, when we hired him and, and there was a little bit of, uh, again, parents being upset, you know, and he, and he did tell us before, he said, look, these kids are going to lose matches because they're not fit enough because they're going to get tired. But if I, if I, I can get them in great shape, but they're going to get injured. So we need to prepare their bodies properly to then go ahead and start the work that they need to do to become really strong and really fit. And, uh, and that's made a lot of sense to me and, um, and really sticks in my mind. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And I think that we're all looking, everyone's looking for an edge. You know, you always look for, you know, what can you do different than your opponent? What can you do different than the crowd? And I think that's where the secrets lie. If, I mean, in my opinion, with nutrition, with fitness, right. I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong. There's a ton of stuff you can do on court by all means, but there's not a ton of secrets on court training. You know, there's not like mind blowing stuff that you're going to do on court, but I do think there's some stuff behind the scenes, you know, like you just said, taking a kid at 14 years old and preparing them to win grand slams at 21, 22. Yeah. That's yeah. some special stuff. I mean, I think that's where the edge is start i think that's where i mean would you agree that that's where you can get a massive difference in edge if you focus on your nutrition your health your fitness your stretching your flexibility absolutely I mean, that's where you can totally separate yourself yeah i mean it, it's look the the difference in players right now is 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 pretty small or or too many players are doing too many things the right way which means you know what my gosh, I got to eat properly because, you know what, the top 10 in the world are eating properly and the top 15 and the top 20 in the world are eating properly. And they're using mental coaches and they're training the right way and they're getting the right sleep. I mean, look at what Djokovic does. I mean, he, he set the bar like in my day when he, Yvonne Lendl set the bar. And when somebody sets the bar, you either have to try to rise up to it or you're going to get left behind. Um, certainly – Without getting out of control, the more you figure that out when you're young, um, you know. And, and I and I see sometimes people just try to go too fast, maybe when they're young, instead of you know being slow. I mean, that's that's really what I remember. This group of American players that trained so much at the USTA, um, the Riley Opelkas and Tommy Pauls and um, Francis Tiafo was down there a lot, even though he trained at JTCC and Taylor Fritz is is. The way they prepared their body, you know, they could have they could have done a ton more and they could have been beaten up more. But I really think the way that their bodies were prepared by people like Satoshi Ochi and and Mark Kovacs and Paul Lovers, who kind of ran that ran the show at that time, really prepared their bodies and tried to keep them as healthy as they could as they moved on. And I think a lot of that was probably from some of the mistakes that were made previously. Um, where, you know, kids were getting injured and maybe they were overplaying um, and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, and going back to the, the, the developmental team, um, a player's developmental team with a, with a team leader, um, I really think that that's a great way of kind of organizing a player, um, you know, and, and, and having that team leader really kind of find the people or a master coach find those other people just like the pros do i mean that's what i do for riley um you know we need a we need pieces to this puzzle to be put together whether it's a strength and conditioning coach or a physio or something with his rackets or something with tennis or something with 
whatever it is, just having somebody kind of kind of manage all that and try to put the pieces together as best they can be put together. That's, that's great. And uh, let's shift gears a little bit here, Jay. Enough of these okay. uh, easy softball questions for you. Uh, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> this is something that a lot of your former players are definitely interested in knowing the answer to. And I'm sure you okay. can know who are going to ask this question. And they are demanding that I ask it. Um, okay. What what frame of mind? What where were you, and in, in mentally, to make Mark Aerosmith the team captain of a collegiate tennis team? <laughs> well, hey, he, he might might not have been the best example, but in a lot of ways he was a good leader. Or not, he was a leader. Let me just take it that way. Whether I liked it or not, he was a leader. The only. The only thing I framed from University of Miami, Jay, is a is a letter from you in my game room that is, uh, uh, I mean, it's it's important to me. Yeah, yeah. it uh, it's strange because it points out that I didn't miss any mandatory or optional fitness, and that I was being named the team captain before ever playing a match. By the way, I mean, I was right. clearly the worst player on the team at first. That's for sure. Um, and that it also was pointing out that I was that it was scary to say, but that, you know, arranging the social activities was also important for a, you know, a successful uh, team as well. So no, I, I uh, yeah, I think it, I, I won, I won a lot of phases of college, just not always on the court. Yeah. So that, that's your answer, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you, Mark, for answering that from Jay. <laughs> I like, I like Mark's answer better. <laughs> Good. Yeah. No, that was perfect. And if I can interject with a question now, you talk about the team that it takes uh, for you uh, or, you know, coaching a professional tennis player. But even when you're coaching a college tennis team, it is a team effort, right? It takes buy-in from the players, from the athletic department, from the staff to have the sort of success you guys did at Miami. Yeah, it it does. I mean, a lot of that was was driven by me. Um, We were very fortunate at Miami to have an athletic department that really um, you know, I, I love Miami. I think it's one of the, the great schools and, um, I had an incredible experience and I think that every player that went to Miami also had an incredible experience. Um, so yeah, they were su- very, very supportive, uh, from, from a scholastic standpoint and also from an athletic standpoint. So when I came up with different ideas, like, Hey, you know, um, we're going to, we're going to leave the gym. We're not going to use the gym at the university. And here's why, here's why we're not going to use it. Um, I need money to hire somebody from outside, um, to, to train our players. Um, and you see a lot of the best universities doing that. You know, Mark, uh, talked a little bit about having Mark Kovacs, um, you know, work with North Carolina and Virginia's used, um, you know, Jay Bosworth, which is another thing that we did. So we used actually um, uh, Bosworth, who is one of the best racket technicians um, uh, customizing um, for many years. Uh, they really started the whole niche of uh, customizing rackets and stringer rackets. And we were actually fortunate enough through my relationship with Jay and his father, Warren, to bring them in. So yeah, I'm very detail-oriented when it comes to tennis. And and uh, and I think Andrew talked about getting edges. Um, I would try to get inches or little percentage points wherever I could get them. 
Um, and uh, the University of Miami certainly supported that. And I would imagine all the best programs in the country um, really support support their coaches in that in that way. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the exact season, but it might have been 98-99. When you guys lost to Clemson, how frustrating was that moment? I don't know. Did we lose to Clemson? No, that was uh... – no, that was towards the end. I mean, well, I think we lost to Clemson a few times. But no, really? we lost to him my senior year. We lost to him. We lost to him at, at LSU, actually, at, at NCAAs. Oh, you're right. You're right. I think that was that was maybe their first or second second year, I think. Uh, or maybe the last year. I'm, I'm not sure. But um, look, if they beat us, they beat us. I'm sure we had a pretty good time and, and fought hard. Uh, but, um, it, yeah, it hurt a little bit. It hurt a little bit. <laughs> I think yeah, Creasy, uh, I think Coach Creasy made you run after after he beat us. I'm sure he probably tried to. I remember one time when we played him, he uh, he thought I had stacked the lineup, and I looked at him and I'm like, <laughs> Coach, well, put the lineup wh- or whichever way you want, and we'll play. I don't really care. So, uh, yeah, we had always co- yeah. Coach is is really a great coach. Um, he understands people. Uh, you know. Better, but he he understands the sociology of young people um, better than most, and really happy that he's he's at the Citadel now. Actually, he is. Uh, I found him. Uh, the assistant coach that is now there um, is somebody that uh, that uh, worked for me at the club at Ibis, where I am currently, as as one of my assistants, and he was on the court with me all all the time. Gaston Murray who uh, I'm sure is doing a great job with him at the Citadel. Kind of, kind of, kind of fitting working at the Ibis, huh? Yeah, that's Our right. Mascot. I don't leave, I, I don't leave Ibises. <laughs> you don't go far away. I don't but, go far uh, away. So, you know, I, I speak for Mark and myself on this one. We had an amazing time in college. I'll tell you that. I mean, uh, I mean, some of my greatest memories are with you and the team. And I mean, you know, truly you've changed my life as a human being, I mean, wow. I, I, I'm up at 4.45 in the morning and I'm probably not stop working until 8 at 9 at night and I can promise you it's a lot easier than the stuff you made me do. So <laughs> That's um, incredible so to I, hear. So I appreciate that. But I wanted to ask you, you know, what is one or two or three or whatever you want to tell your fondest moments of your college coaching or career? Because I truly thought you were an amazing college coach. You changed me. And that's not easy to do. And I was probably a pretty big pain in the ass. And <laughs> you know, I apologize for that. But I, <laughs> but I was young and dumb. So I'm interested to hear what your, some of your moments were in college. I think there, there are so many of them. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you. Um, you know, some of them were people, people trying to finish the. I think what did we have to run the mile in five fifteen? <laughs> yeah. Five fifteen at five fifteen in the morning. I mean, what at was five five forty five. Yeah, or that, so one, or that one year when we had to run with a brick because we were building a brick wall. We were building a brick wall. Yes, I do yeah. remember. I think we had to actually swim with the brick, if I yeah, remember. We, Which we actually did. doesn't sound very smart to put people in the water with a brick. <laughs> we did that, but, but I think that. we actually did that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think I think when I look back at. Uh, at, at my time as a college coach, um, really my best memories are, and what I'm most proud of is, first of all, that um, 
that I think I delivered on what I promised the players, which was that you're going to have the, the, an incredible experience at Miami, that you're going to make friends that are going to last you a lifetime. And that means a lot to me. Um, I would say the relationship that I still have with the players, whether it's, you know, Andrew, the conversations that we've had, uh, when you call and ask a question or, or, or need something or Mark seeing you at, at, uh, at TPC or, or talking tennis, um, and all the players and, and that the relationship has, has, can, has stayed, you know, I see our pod, um, every year I go to Wimbledon when I'm in Sweden. Um, when I was with Jack Sock in Sweden, I got to see one of our players there. So those relationships mean a ton to me. Um, and then I think where we took that program is, you know, I don't think the program had made uh, the final 16, which was a huge, a huge something to get to the final 16, to make it to Georgia was something that when we started, you know, I think we ranked 40 in the, in the country. And to get into the top 10 and to, to build the team the way we built it, which I think was the right way, I think that year uh, we had one player make NCAAs, Michael Lang. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think we had one player, a couple players ranked in the country. Um, and to have as good a year as we had was was an absolute uh, blast. And, and, you know, I also remember uh, a lot of our practices where we play that game with Brian Getz, <laughs> uh, which was a Rick Macy game. And yeah. – We'd started some evenings at like four or five o'clock. You guys probably knew how to kind of get me to get away from practice and do something fun, which was starting the game. And I was so darn competitive that we never stopped. But I, I actually, do you, had to th- I do, do remember, remember me throwing myself out of, out yeah. of, uh, out of some of the practices because of and, my behavior. You almost killed the Kembe Matumbo one time. Yeah, it's a almost, I, I yeah. almost killed somebody. Yeah, I think I threw my racket a couple times. Um, I also remember a, a great memory is because you're not allowed to bet, obviously, for, for money. And as you guys know, I followed the rules to the T. Um, and we were not – I'm sure you guys have stories about that as well, how, how much of a rule file, follower I was with NCAAs. But instead of trying to find something to, uh, to play for, we used to play for fun things like – well, I guess they were kind of fun. They were fun for me. Uh, buzzing people's hair was one of them or or maybe having to go into the cafeteria in very very short shorts in a in a uh, a tank top shirt really really tight uh, um, yeah. those were those were fun. we had so many fun moments i, I really we had so many fun moments a lot a lot um, we still tell those stories to this day man yeah. and i'll tell you this you know it's funny before we made that run I'll never forget this moment. It's actually kind of changed me for for the better for a long time. Um, I actually made NCAA doubles the following year, and I think I went on a pretty good run after this conference. You left. You went. I think you were right. working for the USA. I went to the USA. But I was with Getz, and we I made NCAA doubles with Colin Purcell. And, um, you know, you sat me down. I don't know if you remember this moment, and it was a long conversation right before NCAAs or right before Big East championships. Um, the year we made Sweet 16, and it, it, you talked to me about life and about you know getting everything in order and not being spoiled and not being this and not being that, and it it 
finally hit home to me at that time. That's and I great. use that a lot in my life and in my coaching and my great. teaching and my kids. I truly feel that that was way more important than hitting a thousand tennis balls. And, um, I would agree you know, with you. And, and I didn't lose a match. I didn't lose a match after that. Huh. And then the following year, I made NCAAs, the doubles. And I had, you know, you know, we beat the number one team in the country at Illinois that year in doubles on center court at Illinois indoors. Incredible. And, Incredible. Uh, you know, Delican Calkins, that's a pretty good win on indoors from my That's guys. a really good win. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know, I, I, it just goes back to, you know, sometimes it's not just about hitting a million tennis balls. And it's and, not, uh, no, it's not. And, and even most of my coaching now, um, you know, and that's, you know, I, I think the mental side and understanding the way I went about things, I think I went about things in my pro career the right way. You know, um, whatever my success was, uh, Marty fish has a line that, you know, cause he didn't really, give everything he had until the last couple of years. And I got to spend a lot of time with him those last couple of years when he got to be seven in the world. And that's what I, that's, that was my career high ranking was seven in the world. And, you know, um, the interesting thing is that I can always put my head down and I know I did everything possible to be the best tennis player that I could become. And I think not only in tennis, but in, in every aspect of our life, if we can kind of go about that in that way, um, is, you know, it, it's, you might not be successful at everything you do, but you're going to have success. You're going to have success. And, uh, yeah, so I, I've, I've kind of continued on those lines in my, on those ways with my coaching, um, trying to be not, not being judgmental, but being very honest with players. Um, so detaching from emotion and, 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 but, you know, but having those honest conversations that aren't aren't very easy to have and telling people in a very nice way because you care about them, because you love them, kind of how things really are. Um, and I, and it, it really does mean a lot to me to, to hear the stories that you guys have about the impact. It, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed sleeping really, really good tonight. Yeah, no, and that's the uh, same on our end. And kind of just last thing for me was to echo what Gallup said. Yeah, I mean, I – yeah, between you and 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 Ivan, you know, Baron, who that's been another great one for me. I mean, I, sure. I mean, I went to nine straight years of teaching camps up in the mountains, of Pennsylvania, with Ivan after I got done with school. I He's mean, great, so, you know. And you know, he, I have a player that won clay courts, you know, three or four gold balls in the last two years, and Ivan's there giving the the presentation, and so it's. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not running a tennis club and still involved in tennis if it's not for for you and Ivan. So yeah, definitely. Um, that's... And 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 a lot of it also the fact that you didn't just go. No, I think that's great. You're being an idiot, and that's that's good. You're fine. Great that that you know there was some uh, a lot of you know. Hey, listen, listen, man, just get it together. So yeah, yeah definitely appreciated. Um, and appreciate you you coming on, and we'll have you on again. I think Alex is my. Back. My pleasure. Thanks. And uh, let's also give a nice shout out to Brian Getz for coming up with two on two doubles to bring to our place. God, that was fun. That was so fun. I would. You guys never let me go home, guys. I have four kids at home. It's eight o'clock. I need to go home. No, oh, one more really? game. But I enjoyed it as much as you did. That was fun. That, that that was hey, fun. Jay, that's man. the best game ever. 
the extra hour that you played that game and that Daniel was on the driving range may be the difference in his golf career right now. It might have helped him a lot. It might have <laughs> my helped dad, him a lot. My dad was supposed to be here an hour and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you, you never know. Yeah, never no, know. that's – that's perfect. Well, then, Coach, uh, I just want to end with a quick series of fun questions for you. Rapid fire in the sense of uh, I will be asking a couple questions more than your answer has to be quick. No, no, no. You'll like them, I promise. Um, and so uh, let's start with on that note. Uh, you, we brought up your son, obviously, Daniel, one of the top golfers in the world. Crazier parent of a sport, golf parents or tennis parents? Tennis. <laughs> that was easy. Not even yeah. close? Not even close. Not even close. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Well, what's more nerve-wracking for you, watching the player you're coaching or watching Daniel play a pro event? You know what? I, I've, I've learned to detach to some extent. Now, anybody watching me, if you talk to my wife or somebody else, um, watching somebody that I um, – I, I, tr- I, I really try to detach from the result. And I have – you know, especially if I have confidence in that player – I'll probably just get a little nerve, nerves towards the end when they're kind of close to winning because I, w- I would certainly really like to see them do well. What I don't like about golf is that, you know, Daniel will be doing great and I'll get all these messages from, from tennis players. Oh, you know, great job, great job, great job because he's in second place after the second day or third day. And the problem is if you don't get the ball in the hole at the 18th hole on that last shot, you know, um, you still can have a have a, you can go from second to fiftieth. So um, I golf golf is I I really enjoy watching my son. Um, I can't say I get super nervous because of the result, but it just it's incredibly slow. First of all, and second of all, every shot counts so much. And you know, in tennis, you can be down a set and a break and still come back. There's time. Where in golf, you know, you hit that ball in the water, on the 16th hole, you're, you're kind of in trouble. And I've uh, certainly seen some of that. Certainly seen yeah. some of that in my day of watching. Yeah, I can only imagine that leads me to my follow-up. 20, you know, 20 plus years now of watching either your players play or watching your son play a high-level professional event. My question to you, how do you still have a head of hair? Are you juicing? No, I just, uh, that's just genetics. That's just <laughs> genetics. Um, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm lucky with that, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, especially my time, my time, uh, when I was with the USDA, when I was trying to watch every single live match that was on TV, because I needed to talk to the coaches about what was happening. And I was following every results of the juniors to pros, to watching the live stream, to watching my son score on the on the, um, you know, if I couldn't see it, you know, they have the live scoring for the golf. Uh, those were stressful times. That, that was probably <laughs> over. That was overboard for me. That was overboard for me. No, I can only imagine. Yeah, that those times, and then again, putting up with Mark. Those are the big moments. The those were the big moments. As you look back, yeah. All right, last two questions for you. I promise. Sure. More uh, memorable win for you as you look back. Beating Connors at the French, beating Sampras in that '89 run to the quarterfinals at the U.S. Um, you know, I, I would say different, different. Uh, beating Sampras. Look, he was he was not as well known. I think he was 18 years old at the time. Um, he had just beaten Vlander. Uh, I don't think he actually played very well against me. 
but making my first quarters of a of uh, of the U.S. Open was incredible. Actually, the year I beat Connors, I made the quarters of the French that year. But that match against Connors was an absolute battle. We played on Chartrier, on Stadium Court. Uh, it was Kids' Day. It was a hundred percent packed in over capacity, <laughs> and there were four people rooting for me. And those were <laughs> those were my coach, my girlfriend, and one other person that I don't know why they were rooting for me. So. <laughs> They, I mean, it wasn't for me. It was really an epic match against somebody that that we always had very tough matches and and uh, to be able to win it. I believe I won it seven five in the fourth. Was was really an incredible match and something I really remember. No, like I said, tennis's first grinder, Jay Berger, without question. Um, all right, my last one for you. And again, this is our show. We like to do with the guys from Aerobar, and we talked so much about nutrition and health and fitness and how players can best prepare themselves to get the most out of their game uh, by preparing properly off the court. So, my final question: Is it more impressive? or concerning to you, Coach, that Riley Opelka can eat an entire box of Lucky Charms and be just fine? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Well, I, I, don't, I don't encourage him to do that, but I, I think for Riley, calories is what he needs. Uh, so, you know, at, at his size, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But, you know, Riley takes his, uh, his, his fitness, he takes his body very seriously in regards to what he's putting in it um, and how he's managing it. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that, um, that is of the utmost important importance to me is how much sleep, what he's doing after he gets off a plane, how much hydration he's, he's getting in his body. It's something that is really paramount and will probably define what level he gets to in tennis is how good does his body get. You know, how strong does he get? How good is his nutrition? How good is his hydration and, and, and all that all that stuff? Um, it's just well, huge. Let's, let's ask what everybody really wants to know. Between Mark and I, who was more of a physical specimen? That's what everybody Who was really more of a physical specimen? <laughs> well, I think you you were you had that natural stocky stocky slash I don't, I don't know what do we want to call it. But uh <laughs> That natural power, and Mark just Thank had you. that. Well, actually, you both had live arms. You both had live arms. I'll call it a tie. Right, I'll call it a enough. tie. Fair enough. We'll take that. Yeah, no, we can push that question again and, you know, pry it a little further the next time yeah. we have you on, Coach. And, you know, we could spend hours talking to you because it really is a lifetime dedicated to the game of tennis. And so, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Hope you and your family are staying safe and healthy. And, again, we look forward to seeing your smiling face in the player box sometime soon. Well, thank you, guys. This was actually a lot of fun and and, and great to be able to spend time uh talking with with all of you and and really really excited to see what what andrew and, and mark are doing with aero bars and and the success they're having thanks jack awesome. yeah all right gentlemen time. appreciate it yeah it was fun thanks yeah. guys. take care coach see ya
Hope all of you guys enjoyed our conversation with the one and only Jay Berger. And of course, there are few, if any, people throughout the tennis industry with the sort of experience, with the sort of knowledge they can share than Jay. So I know I speak for both Mark and Andrew when I say it was an absolute pleasure getting to have this conversation. And hopefully we'll be able to get him back on the podcast sometime soon. And again, these getting to the point episodes, something we're going to be doing every Thursday with our friends from Aerobar. If you missed our first edition of the show, uh, go check Check out the conversation Mark, Andrew, and I had with Michael Russell. Of course, we will always be trying to focus on the nutrition uh, aspects of the game, how important that is to the success players can have. But we've had a bunch of fun on our first two episodes as well, and we know you fans will enjoy them all moving forward. So be sure to go check out our first episode if you missed it. And by the way, you can find out all the information about Aerobar by going to aerobar.com. You're going to want to order yourself up a case. I say this all the time, but I really do mean it when I say it. Those cinnamon honey oat arrow bars, they're delicious. They're going to get you through some times, uh, get you through some stuff. So uh, just go order yourself an up a case. And in fact, use our promo code CRACKED15 as well. You'll get 15% off. You'll let them know we sent you there. You'll let them know, hey, I'm listening to the show. I've really enjoyed getting to the point. And, you know, again, we appreciate their support. So we ask that you go support them as well. Uh, of course, we're up to all sorts of cool things here at Cracked Rackets right now. You look across the board uh, on our Cracked Interviews podcast this week, our episode and conversation we had with Monica Pui finally released. That is not only a podcast, but you can go find it in video form as well on our YouTube channel. Uh, it was really fun to do in the moment we did that, had that conversation, I want to say mid-April. Uh, unfortunately, I should say fortunately, we have an outstanding queue right now of pods uh, in the midst waiting for all of you guys, but so we're happy to get that one out there. Hopefully you all enjoy that. And of course, if you've missed anything from throughout the tennis world, you can go back and listen to all of these mini breaks I think we've done a pretty good job documenting what's gone on throughout the tennis world throughout this quarantine period. And, of course, guests like Steve Weissman, Ben Rothenberg, Mark Lucero, John Wertheim, uh, so many more on the Mini Break podcast. Of course, for the business side, uh, on the Great Shot podcast, former ATP CEO Mark Miles, Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. And then, as I mentioned as well, if you want to learn more about our sponsors at Midwest Sports, get yourself best prepared to make your return to the court. Listen to the conversation I had uh, earlier today with Dave Limke of there as well. You can find all of those podcasts on the Great Shot podcast feed. And again, like, rate, subscribe, review to all of our shows, the GSP, the Mini Break, the Cracked Interviews podcast, as well as our new pod too, the Inside Out podcast, our first deep dive narrative-based show, the first season of which focuses on the best American tennis players throughout the open era. Again, YouTube channel right now. We're rocking and rolling, overserved, hitting one, CR Classics, you name it, it's on there. You don't want to miss any of our content, so go subscribe to that channel. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an ending job they do day in, day out. You know, again, I talk into the microphone. I'm going to be talking no matter what, that they can make it sound good, that they can, you know, continue to con- uh, pop out these episodes at this sort of rate. Uh, shout out to them. That's where all of the real hard work happens. Shout out again one more time to our friends at Midwest Sports for their support. Be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Again, if you have missed any of our content, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, for the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackedRackets. You want to DM me directly, feel free to do 
just that by messaging me at Great Shot Pod. But with all of that being said, for our friends again at Aerobar, and if you go to Aerobar.com, use that promo code Cracked15. I know that both Mark and Andrew would give you a big thank you. And for my lovely co-hosts, Mark and Andrew, for our incredible guests, Jay Berger, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. We'll be right back.